Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. That's whatever type of company you work with. And laugh, we do have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host of the world of commercial real estate. Thank you for joining us. If you have any commercial real estate related questions, or if you have comments about the show, we do appreciate hearing from you. Our phone number is 888-612-SHOW. Our email is info at CREshow.com. You can also connect with us through LinkedIn, Twitter, or Google+. You can find them all at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, we have a very interesting show for you today. We're going to explore the unique factors in the market affecting a company's decision to lease or to, or to purchase real estate. You know, the lease purchase decision has always been important. However, the current rental market, our economic situation, and some possible accounting changes make the analysis even more crucial. We'll explore the selection, the pricing, uh, the effects of financing, uh, the new accounting that could happen, uh, some market projections, and how all this affects a company's lease versus purchase decision. We'll have an incredible panel of experts here for you today to help put it all in perspective. Well, let's meet our panel. First, please welcome Brant Standridge, Group State President with BB&T. BB&T Corporation, headquartered in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is among the nation's top financial holding companies. As of December 31, 2011, BB&T has $174.6 billion in assets and market capitalization of $17.5 billion. Brent, welcome and thanks for joining us this morning. Michael, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. And please welcome Brent Baker, Managing Director with CIB Partners, which is Consultants in Banking. Consultants and Banking provides services for community banks, including business plan development, capital raise project management, capital restoration planning, and they assist banks with lending programs, including extensive experience with SBA loans. Brent, welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you, Michael. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you. And please welcome Jeffrey Olson, CPA and partner with Babish, Neiman, Kornman & Johnson. A leading CPA firm for nearly 50 years, BNKJ is a full-service firm including tax advisory services, assurance <laughs> services, business valuation, and management advisory. Jeff's practice has a special focus on construction and real estate. Jeff, welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be back with you once again. Thank you. And please welcome Daniel Latshaw. Daniel is a partner with Bull Realty. Bull Realty is a regional full-service commercial brokerage firm with three offices headquartered in Atlanta. Daniel's practice is focused on consulting companies and representing them with their office space needs in the Atlanta market. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you having me this morning, Michael. Well, thank you, guys, and we've got an important topic here today, and let's uh, let's get right at it. You know, let's talk about some of the factors affecting lease-first purchase decisions at this point in the current cycle. You know, commercial real estate values always cycle, you know, whether we like that or not, and timing the acquisition of real estate at the end of a recession phase or in the recovery phase is an incredible time to benefit from lower prices and potential appreciation. And by the way, if, if you'd like to learn more about timing real estate cycles, and if you're not driving right now, uh, we've provided an article on commercial real estate cycles on the show website at commercialrealestateshow.com. You know, I was preparing for the show and, uh, and told my son, who's 13, that we're going to be talking to company owners about the lease first purchase decision and whether they should buy or not, and asked his opinion. He's 13. He said, 
buy low, sell high. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, are we low? Where are we? Are we at the bottom yet? Where are prices right now, uh, Daniel? Smart kid, Michael. (laughs) Hey, it's no secret. I don't know where he gets it. (laughs) It's no secret. Now is a great time to buy. Let me give you an example. The Campanile Building. 50, 500,000 square foot office building in Midtown Atlanta. Here's a building that sold in 2007 for 220 a square foot. 2010, just three years later, 80 a square foot. That's mm-hmm. 36 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. In a market where leases have been generally flat. Mm-hmm. So your overall co- uh, cost of occupancy to lease, pretty much flat. Your overall cost of occupancy during this period has plummeted. So are we going to promise you $0.36 cents on the dollar? No, but my point is the plot is thickened. Mm-hmm. Business owners ought to pay attention because the purchase versus lease decision might have changed. It's not the same analysis from just a few years ago. Are we at the bottom? Well, positive absorption and increase in rental rates in most markets nationwide suggests so. Um, you know, if you're in Boston, you're in D.C., you're in Manhattan, you may be way past the bottom, but Atlanta, Phoenix, Vegas... These type of markets provide great opportunities for corporate headquarters to either buy or lease. Mm-hmm. But, but don't generalize. Look closely at your market or your submarket. Yeah, it's been an amazing time to, to buy commercial real estate. Brian, I guess you guys are seeing some uh, low prices. We are, Michael. And I, I would agree with uh, Daniel's comments. We, we believe that, that distressed property is certainly at the bottom and well below replacement cost. Uh, it really depends on the quality of of the real estate. Uh, we've seen from the very top high quality assets decline twenty to twenty five percent, and and lower quality assets de- decline fifty to seventy five percent. We we believe those prices are reaching the bottom. I will say that there are some property types that are at pre pre recession levels. You have multifamily, uh, medical office buildings. Um, uh, grocery uh, anchored uh, retail and and also credit tenant properties that uh, are are actually approaching pre recession levels. That's right. And if you're buying for your business, you're buying office or industrial probably. And there are some opportunities in a, a lot of cities around. And let's talk about uh, the lack of new construction. I mean, we've had historic low numbers in uh, new construction in the past three or four years. And that's caused a lot of positive absorption. It's, it's really helping the market when we've had lackluster job improvement. Uh, Daniel, what do you see there? Michael, if you look at the average square footage of new deliveries over the past 30 years, according to CoStar, in any single year, it tends to be about 150 million square feet delivered nationwide of office product. Mm-hmm. The last few years, 51 million 31 million, 36 million. Yeah, we're, we're going to see some upward pressure in rents over the next few years because of the lack of supply, the lack of new product. Yeah, and part of the, the lack of new construction uh, is available uh, financing or, or lack of it, right, Brent? Right, that's right. <laughs> and, and, you know, in some property types, there's, there's readily available financing, and you have a chance in those property types that, that we could have an overcorrection. And uh, you're starting to see that, frankly, in some of the, some of the property types. For many of the listeners today, uh, when, you, when you think about owner-occupied real estate, it's very, very attractive for, for banks. Uh, financing is readily available. Uh, banks are requiring less and less equity. You can get longer-term fixed rates at very low prices. And so, um, obviously, that is going to create some upward pressure from a pricing perspective. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at uh, the government loan programs that are available and you see them being so almost overutilized by banks, it's because that 
They're offering banks an opportunity to do owner-occupied financing and provide a large guarantee from the government on that. Mm-hmm. The guarantee becomes a saleable asset in the secondary market, and banks, it's very attractive to their profit levels. And it's also very protective because they're only really putting out 25% of the dollars. Well, Jim, let's talk about how this lack of new construction may affect rents and values down the road. I mean, we're starting to get some increase in the job market, some job creation is happening. We have no new construction to speak of. Uh, What do you think is going to happen with rents and and values uh, as we move down the road, say, three to four to five years from now, Jeff? Well, Michael, where we are today, we've had an extended period of an economy that's extremely soft. Uh, Vacancies are up. Uh, that's driven rents down. Uh, landlords are scrambling. Uh, but take that snapshot today and roll it forward. We're getting some job growth. There's going to be demand for space of pretty much all property types. So as the vacancy factors start to contract, it's supply and demand. It's going to have to push rents up. And ultimately, it'll push rents up to where it's economically justified for new construction. Now, that may be quite a few years down the road, but uh, rents will have to come up at some point. And Brent, uh, companies shouldn't rely, I guess, on the current low rents uh, they're able to get now, should they? No. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, the market is going to dictate uh, low rents for a short period of time, but mm-hmm. it, when it ramps up, it may ramp up very rapidly. Yeah. Okay, and well, let's talk about values. I mean, we've we've already heard on this show that we've got some markets with some very high values, and we've got some uh, areas where the, the prices are really low. There's a real bifurcation there in this current cycle of properties that are dealing with vacancy issues and then fully occupied properties. Daniel, how can companies benefit from this situation? Well, let me give you an example, Michael. Our, our firm just listed uh, an 8,000-square-foot medical office building, bank-owned, which we feel might trade in the in the range of 80 a square foot. Similar leased medical buildings in this area have recently sold in the 150 to 170 range. In other words, a medical practice comes in purchases and on day 1 they've doubled the value of the building. Now of course they could add this to their balance sheet if they want to keep it or they could go on take the money and run, do a sale lease back so they could sell it. And uh, Brent, what are you seeing there on uh, vacant property values? We're seeing the same thing. We're seeing a huge premium and a huge lease-up premium, probably more than we've historically seen. And uh, it creates an, uh, a really neat opportunity for an owner-occupant to add some value, as, as Daniel has illustrated. Yeah. I, I think if you look at markets where there's been a lot of development, you'll find out that there's clusters of places that aren't leased up. And they're attracting tenants that aren't the kind of tenants that are going to be prosperous to your growth in the future. So I think you want to look at that. Well, okay, we'll have to take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll have a lot more in store for you. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com and Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. (laughs) 
Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related subjects, check out our show podcast. You can hear a show we did last week on the distress market, a show we did the week before on ways to power your business with LinkedIn. Another show you want to check out is Prevalent Lease Issues. We also called it Oops, I Should Have Covered That in the Lease. There are lots of interesting shows to choose from. Just click the tab Shows on Demand at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Well, today we're sharing insight on the current factors affecting the lease versus purchase decision. My guests are Brant Standridge with BB&T, Brent Baker with Consultants in Banking, Jeff Olson with BNKJ, and Daniel Latshaw with Bull Realty. Brent, you mentioned before the break uh, that you've seen a lot of vacant centers in, in some of the suburban areas uh, in some of these cities. How can companies capitalize on this situation? Well, I think one thing they need to do is they need to look around at the the other centers in the area and find out if they're having difficulty leasing. And you can tell that generally by the type of tenant in there. And if the tenants are at a good level, then you may just have a center that's an opportunity. You can come in and, and find attractive tenants. But if you're seeing the other shopping centers in the area struggling with tenants and they've got undesirable tenants in there, then you probably want to avoid it. And have you um, <clears throat> provided financing for some companies that have bought some of these centers and used them for their uh, own business? You know, ironically, using government programs, if that tenant will occupy 51% of that center, we can do that under an SBA guaranteed loan program that normally is an owner-occupied loan program. We've done that for numerous restaurants, uh, health clubs where they put in large health fitness centers in there and where they're occupying that high level we can get that done under a government program which makes them a much more attractive finance candidate right so it's a great time to to lease or buy a building that's vacant and uh, if you're leasing it do it with a partner you don't necessarily have to have all the cash as investors if you're going to fill the hole and fill a problem you know, they'll, they'll buy the property uh, with you and give you an investment in the building uh, with no cash. And uh, in the cases where you're filling a building and it's 100% occupied, uh, selling a leased property with a strong tenant uh, with a fairly long-term lease is a very hot market. You know, the sale leaseback market and the single tenant net lease market is hot as a firecracker. And, uh, you know, the value and the demand for these fully occupied properties is just huge. How might companies use this to raise cash to expand their business, Daniel? Well, we, we sell these types of properties around the country, mm-hmm. uh, single tenant net lease. And depending on the strength of the company, depending on location, depending on um, uh, length of lease, investors, as Brant alluded to earlier, are paying top dollar uh, for, for, for stable, safe income flows in this market. And sale leasebacks have benefited from an overall flight to quality. So, you know, check this out. We, we, you've got strong companies out there who've grown strong by doing sale leasebacks. Take Walgreens or CVS, for instance. I mean, these guys open a new location. Most people uh, cost some money. They make money. You know, they do a long-term lease and they sell it. Uh, and, and their properties are trading in the six sixes in terms of cap rates right now. Your, your business might not necessarily trade at a six cap uh, in this situation. Oh, my, mine would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> strong. <laughs> but there, there's general flight to quality, and there are great opportunities yeah. right now to gr- create wealth through sale leasebacks. I know we're a strong company uh, because I called the office this morning and somebody answered the phone, you know. <laughs> and we have a website. So, <laughs> Jeff, what are you seeing out there? 
Well, the sale leaseback is a great transaction. Where we are right now in the economic cycle, as we talked about, there's real estate, but there's two types. There's the attractive stuff that is leased up that people will pay a very good price for. There's the vacant B and C space that's hard to move. Uh, and with the general economic background that there's so little yield out there, whether you're talking about other fixed income and investments, people will look at real estate. And as we've seen, cap rates have started to come back down, particularly in class A properties that are well leased. Um, so I would also suggest that somebody look at a sale leaseback. Uh, the old saying that in real estate, you really made your money the day you bought it. Well, the key is knowing when to monetize it. When do you sell? I had a client that we got into an, an office building owner occupied in the early 2000s. And three years after they bought it, we went back to them and said, guys, the values have gone up so much. We think you need to sell now. Mm-hmm. They looked at us like we were crazy, but we <laughs> sold it or they sold it. Um, just about at the peak of the market in, in 05, 06. Uh, so in hindsight, it was a great thing. They got off of uh, uh, real estate debt that they had personal guarantees on. And all of a sudden, they were just a tenant in somebody else's building with no guarantees on their lease. Wow. So it worked out great. Nice. And uh, Brent, what do you see out there? You know, you mentioned small businesses and their ability to use their real estate to borrow against you know, businesses that are looking to expand, particularly small businesses, often use their real estate. It's an attractive way to get long-term financing and yet to accomplish some things of expansion, marketing programs, adding equipment, any number of things they may want to do in the business. So uh, we, we do quite a bit of that type of financing. Yeah, it's interesting. Somebody will ask me, well, you know, what's this building worth? Say a bank will call them, what's this building worth? And the first question is, well, what's the income and and, and is it vacant? And, uh, you know, it's like trying to sell land right now. There's no income. There's very little value uh, in, in land and, and vacant properties. But once your company occupies that space, like uh, Daniel said, depending on the strength of your company and the length of that lease, it could have some huge value. And I think it's important for companies to realize that when they're looking at the lease versus purchase analysis to really understand, well, what would that building be worth with my company in there on a 10-year lease, let's say, with some 2% annual escalations, uh, and what would that bring on the market? They may be surprised. Uh, in one case, we did an analysis for a medical company, and um, they could build a building from scratch uh, and, and, and actually sell that building without ever closing on it and put a million dollars in their coffers and have control of the property on a long-term lease because we're able to get the construction pricing and the land pricing at the right numbers um, and the rents uh, in the medical lease market and that market were high enough that that property have instant value. Now they can keep that value uh, on their balance sheet, right, Jeff? Or they can sell that property right at the closing, right? You know, that type of transaction is great, Michael, where what you really did is with your customer and client, you guys took what the developer would typically see as his profit profit in a speculative deal. Mm-hmm. You took an, an owner and built something brand new with no developer there, and you basically captured that profit that the developer would typically have. Yeah. Great deal. Yeah. And another example that, that we just saw with a large user uh, was a law firm, and, you know, they're, they're a very big user of space. And when they plug the right building, if they find the right building for their for their their practice, and they're plugging a problem, they may create a lot of value with that lease. And we've got investors that 
uh, you know, call us on a building and say, you know, I love that building. I love that real estate. When you get a tenant, call us back. <laughs> you know, I don't love it enough to buy it vacant. So if you're a user, think about that. You Make sure you find the right location that's right for your business. But if you're plugging a hole, you might be creating some value. And even without the cash, you may be able to call a broker like Daniel or anybody on this show uh, and, and people like us around the country, find an investor uh, that can buy that property with you and take advantage of this market. I mean, these prices are so low, it's incredible. And I think, like we talked about earlier, with the lack of new construction, uh, it may be hard to comprehend right now with what we've been beat on and been beat down, but I think we're going to see some huge rents in about five years. So it's all about the timing. Well, we have to take a short break. Uh, Speaking of timing, if you appreciate the show, reach out to the show sponsors. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. If you like more great commercial real estate information, subscribe to the show blog and follow the show on any of the social media sites, including Twitter. You can find them all at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're sharing insight on the current factors affecting the lease versus purchase decision. My guests are Brent Standridge with BB&T, Brent Baker with Consultants in Banking, Jeff Olson with BNKJ, and Daniel Latshaw with Bull Realty. Guys, uh, lenders are much more interested in owner-occupied loans these days as compared to investment loans. Let's look at the current financing picture. What types of rates and down payments are available for companies that occupy their own building right now, Brent? Well, in the SBA loan program, of course, uh, community banks in particular is our client. We deal with um, the, the kind of down payment they're looking for is generally on a real estate product, 20%, but that down payment can also make up equities that a company may already have. They may have equity in their equipment. They may have uh, equity in inventory and receivables, and this is utilized. Sometimes they'll end up with as little as 10% down uh, on a loan, and, and they can carry that out on real estate for 25 years. The rates are generally variable. Uh, with a maximum of prime plus two and three quarters, which in this market is 6%. And if you look at our um, Fed, the Fed recently signaled they were not going to increase rates until 2014. So it makes it a very attractive, most banks are floored right now at six and a half or 7%. So if you get a prime plus two, you've got a five and a quarter rate that more than likely you've got for two or three or four years out in the process of the loan before it begins to accelerate. But we find it uh, very attractive. And again, banks that are dealing, community banks in particular, with a limited capital base right now in this difficult financial environment, find SBAs attractive because they sell the guaranteed portion of it in the secondary market as a security, and they only hold 25% of the loans. So if there's a, 
a borderline decision, oftentimes the SBA will push it uh, toward a yes decision. And how long does the process take to get an SBA loan closed? What should the borrowers expect there? Well, I wish I could say it was a very fast process, <laughs> but you, we, we gather an enormous amount of financial information from the borrower and create an underwriting package that goes to the bank for approval. Once the bank has approved it, we send it then to SBA for approval. And once SBA has approved it, we go through the closing process with uh, appraisals and EPAs and uh, gathering life insurance policies and all the necessary things to get it done. If I were to say an average time, I would say between 90 and 120 days to get it done. Okay. And we've had some companies who have talked to their current bank. Their current banker tells them, you know, you don't, you're not approved for the loan. In reality, that bank really doesn't want to do that loan. They're not really aggressively doing loans. If, if a, a company has been told they do not qualify, should they still talk to an SBA lender and, and check around to see if that's really the case? Or is maybe that, that, that bank, particular bank, d- didn't want a loan or their parameters were just too tight? Well, I think SBA offers, because you, have, you can put together a variety of collateral, and a number of things we take global cash flow into consideration. And a lot of times when they're walking into a Bank of America or uh, a larger institution, they may be looking at it from a conventional standpoint. And we offer an option that uh, would be more attractive, particularly to a local community bank. Is the underwriting uh, any easier in some cases where an SBA loan is compared to a conventional loan with a bank? Well, unfortunately, some banks do look at it uh, as, a, as an easier option. Uh, we try to tell banks to underwrite it exactly the way they would underwrite a conventional loan. Mm-hmm. It keeps them out of future loan problems. Right. And uh, Brant, what are you guys seeing at uh, BB&T for owner-occupied loans? I know of all the banks that call on, on my firm here, we're a real regional firm in the southeast, it's uh, the banks and lenders that want to do these owner-occupied loans. I guess that they want the banking and, and the, the relationships, uh, right? No, Michael, you're right. We. Yeah. We love these opportunities. Yeah. It, it gives us a chance to diversify our balance sheet. It gives us exposure to many types of businesses that we can do lots of things for. And we have particularly been very aggressive in going after these type of opportunities. And in fact, over the last 12 months, we've, um, we've focused specifically on purchases for businesses under $5 million. Mm-hmm. And of course, we want all, but we've we specifically focused on that group. And we have offered fixed rates for those clients that are purchasing their own real estate that they were going to occupy. Those fixed rates are sub 4% for five, seven, and 10 years. Nice. Um, equity amounts are, are generally less than what you're gonna see from an investor perspective. You're looking at sometimes 10% with some of the SBA programs Brent was describing um, to you know 20% where investors are, are looking at maybe closer to 25 to 30% equity and uh, a a significant discount from a premium perspective. And just to share some numbers with you, we've we've closed over a billion dollars of those type of transactions under $5 million in the last 12 months. Bless your heart. Keep doing that, please. We need it for the commercial real estate market at large. We have to take a short break. We'll get more on the lease versus purchase analysis process. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. 
and by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some great shows coming up, including next week's show on the U.S. office market. If you'd like a once-a-week email announcing the show topic, you're invited to sign up at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Well, today we're sharing insight on the current factors affecting the lease versus purchase decision. <clears throat> My guests are Brant Standridge with BB&T, Brent Baker with Consultants in Banking, Jeff Olson with BNKJ, and Daniel Atshaw with Bull Realty. Guys, we just looked at some of the rates and financing that's available out there. We've got some incredibly low rates compared to what we've seen historically. Uh, Daniel, when you finance a property at a lower rate than the rate of return the property offers uh, on a cash purchase, you benefit from positive leverage. Uh, Give us an example. If you've acquired a property at 8 cap, which would also be your, your cash on cash return, and then you finance it at, say, 6%, uh, your t- return's really improved, isn't it? Michael, every day we see even sophisticated investors go into deals very nearsighted. Mm-hmm. That 8% cap rate that you referred to, is we refer to it as a going-in cap rate. It's just your first year's yield. And it's kind of nearsighted to base your entire investment decision on just one part of the equation. It's a common mistake. There are so many other elements that should be considered in your investment analysis. The effect of leverage alone will boost your 8% closer to double digits. But there are many other things that you need to keep in mind. Yeah, I think if you if you had that leverage, depending on how much leverage you can add, uh, your your double digit returns uh, from that single digit happen immediately in the first year, right, Jim? Yeah, in fact, I uh, co-instruct a course on this topic with a good friend of mine, and we have an example that we worked out that says, you know, based on the assumption of your going in yield and your cost of debt, the baseline in the example is your return on equity is sixteen percent, and everybody gets real excited, and then we show them the example. And if that spread widens by 1%, your equity yield goes from 16 to 21% by a 1% change in your yield. And everybody gets excited. Mm-hmm. And then we show them the example, where, but what if your yield contracts by 1%? Mm-hmm. Your 16 became an 11. So it's very magnified. I think that's the effect that we're trying to get to is it, it is a leveraging effect. It works great on the way up. You just got to be as wary that if, if things don't go as well, it's going to hurt just as much on the way down. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of of buying properties for your own business. Hopefully, your your own business is a good tenant, right? Exactly. <laughs> I know Bull Realty is going to pay their rent on my building. Yeah, uh-huh. I, just, I just know that. You know, I just, I just, I just, I feel real confident with them. Uh, well, let's look at. Uh, uh, the lease first purchase decision when it comes to the upcoming FASB lease accounting changes. Financial Accounting is, uh, Standards Board is adjusting uh, leases, or they're expected to, and I want to get some more information from Jeff on this, uh, include leases as a liability on balance sheets. Uh, what, what is the status of these changes, Jeff, and how will they change the balance sheet and possibly affect a company's value? Yeah, with a lot of your listeners perhaps not being as as knowledgeable about some of these changes, they haven't happened yet. Uh, they're still a work in progress. We have very smart listeners, though, I tell you. <laughs> well, we all know what an operating lease is. We right. sign a lease, and we just make lease payments over the lease term, and we expense them as we go. That's the only effect on our cash flow, but also on our financial statements. 
Um, the U.S. Accounting Rulemaking Board, the FASB, in conjunction with the International Board, they're converging their accounting policies. Uh, they're going to do away with an operating lease. So if you have a real estate lease of, let's say, five years that you normally would have expensed month by month by month, when you sign that lease now, you're going to put a uh, lease obligation liability on your balance sheet uh, and a, what's called a right-to-use asset. Well, you're really just going to gross up your balance sheet. And with some good bankers here who know about loan covenants, what happens when your liabilities go up but your equity didn't change? Your leverage ratios go off the charts. Um, I think what could happen for some folks, they'd say, well, if I have to put the liability on the books if I sign the lease, why don't I just own the building then? And Because I'll put the debt on my books, but I'll get the asset, and I'll have an investment. Um, this accounting change, as I said, is kind of a working process still. Uh, it's been out for exposure here. The FASB got comments back. They've made some changes. Uh, it was on a time track, possibly to have an effective date in 2013 to possibly 2014. Uh, I checked the FASB website last night. They're going to re-expose it in the second half of 12 for further comments. So I think this is going to be somewhere down the road, at least not until 2014. Okay. I think the key implication for a business owner is um, if you'd have to put these liabilities on your books as an operating lease, you might want to go ahead and buy. It's just one more factor, I think, in addition to the investment values and the returns. Um, now, the compensating effect, I think, is for most middle market private companies, we suggest don't own the real estate in your operating business. You, Mr. Owner, own that separately and lease it to the company. So that uh, may not have as much of an impact. Uh, and also, some owners don't need to do gap-based statements. They can do income tax basis. If you do income tax basis reporting for your financial statements, uh, these rules won't apply. So it's just... Uh, Stay, stay tuned. Uh, we'll have more in the next year or two as it comes down the pike. Yeah, we'll have a whole show on that, I think. And, Brant, what if you have a big hit on your balance sheet and you have loan covenants in your existing warehouse loans? How are uh, bankers going to look at that if all of a sudden we're not within our covenants? Well, well, first of all, Michael, the, the, the goal of the bank is to set covenants that are manageable over the long term for the client. So it's not ever our intention to set up our clients to fail from a covenant perspective. Right. So as it relates to this change, we, we are already evaluating companies based on the potential changes. That's good. There are certain types of businesses that this is even more applicable for, where their space is key to the success and running of their business, like a retail store, for example. Uh, and so we're, we're already starting to evaluate that. And at the point where this officially changes, we'll begin uh, immediately with our clients to adjust how covenants are set to make sure they're reasonable for the coming years. Okay. Well, that's great, and that's a good way to look at it. Well, we're going to have more from our guest after a quick break. If you appreciate the show, check out our sponsors at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com.
Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Can you join me to support a good cause? Check out Andy's Army, a commercial agent's daughter is dealing with non-traumatic brain injuries. His daughter, their family, and others in their same position could use our help. The website is andysarmy.com, and that's spelled A-N-D-E-E-S. Well, today we're sharing insight on the current factors affecting the lease versus purchase decision. And, gentlemen, I'd like to get right back into uh, the business here. And, uh, Jeff, what are some of the entities and tax planning for buying a building for your own business? With real estate, this is really one of the, the assets that really has some good tax attributes. But I want to stress to everyone, you know, I've, I've never seen good tax attributes make a bad deal work. Uh, mm-hmm. So always look at your real estate on an investment basis. And then secondarily, what are the tax attributes that might make it make even more sense? Um, but with that being said, I mean, the, the, the big item here is we've got, you know, rental income. And of course, we've got our own operating expenses, but there's a big non-cash expense you get to deduct for tax purposes called depreciation. So you can shelter some of that income that you've got coming in with depreciation. Uh, and the, the flip side is what we're really doing is taking this depreciation depreciating for accounting purposes or tax purposes what we hope is an appreciating asset uh, when you sell the building there's you know capital gains at a uh, preferential tax rate lower than ordinary income so you can sh- shelter some income in the meantime and then when the gains come around on the back end uh, there's some attractive rates uh, the one big tax attribute on the sale is michael you well know uh, the like kind or 1031 exchange. Even if you do have a gain that's large, even at a lower rate, you could reinvest into a like kind property and defer that gain uh, into the second replacement property that you buy. So there's all kind of strategies, and particular to the owner occupied side, you know, let's say that we've got interest that we're paying to our banker here, mm-hmm. we've got operating expenses, and because of depreciation, we actually have a rental loss. Uh, for most people, those rental losses might be what's called a passive loss and not currently deductible. Well, if I own or occupy the building, even if it's in a separate partnership from my operating business, if I own the same percentage of the operating business and the rental partnership, what otherwise would have been a passive loss is now treated as active for tax purposes, and I can use that loss to offset any other source of income, wages, interest, dividends. So there's uh, uh, a, a whole checklist here of, I think, good, attractive tax attributes, but make sure that it's a good real estate investment first. Okay. Well, I'm glad there's still great tax advantages to doing it. And, uh, Brant, what about uh, down the road? Let's say you buy a building, you, you do it, and then 10 years down the road, you, you want some funding to grow your business, and you go to the bank. Is owning that real estate going to be a big help? Absolutely, Michael. And as I, I stated earlier, we banks currently love owner-occupied real estate. And we've, we've done a lot of that over the last 12 months. And a lot of that have been clients or businesses that are refinancing, taking out some equity to do expansion and other things. Uh, leasehold improvements are difficult to lend against. And uh, certainly if some, the bank has a hard asset in real estate, it makes the loan decision much, uh, much easier. And the terms that we can offer and the rate that we can offer is much more attractive. Right. Well, we're almost out of time here, but I want to see if you guys have some quick tips for the listeners. Uh, Dan, you got a quick tip? Mike, I like what your 13-year-old son said, buy low and sell high. He sounds like a smart kid. You might want to have him on the show next time. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's an excellent time to buy, and brokers like me, CPAs, lenders, other professionals are here to help you analyze uh, what, what can be a complex decision. Brent, you got a quick uh, closing? 
I think that if you look at the, um, if you want to take existing assets and you want to utilize them to expand your business, uh, you can look at the government loan programs are extremely attractive, particularly to community banks that are capital strapped. You'll find them very receptive of your request. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks. If you'd like more information from anyone on the show today, their websites and phone numbers are available at commercialrealestateshow.com. Can you join us next week? Well, I hope so. We'll look at the U.S. office market. Thanks for spending some time with us. I'm Michael Bull. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. And by Resnick Group, a top 20 national accounting firm focused on real estate. Visit resnickgroup.com.